Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, near or far, high or low, you're listening to the Coach D podcast. And I'm very excited to have this guest on the show because there's not a lot of people that I can speak. You know, um, I like to say basketball chess, you know, shout out to my mentor, Coach um, Hugh, just in terms of the attention to detail and the X's and O's. So, in the studio today, we have Coach Daniel. So thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast, Coach. Thanks for having me, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Um, I think uh, what I was saying off air, just in terms of my introduction to your channel, this was probably, I believe, in 2017 when um, I was fortunate enough to be the London regional coach um shout out to coach mac um he actually put me on your channel um and it was definitely something different it, it wasn't your typical highlights you know how one individual player scored 40 points but i think one thing that i was able to draw from you straight away was the fact that you was looking at it from a coach's standpoint and looking at how all five pieces move accordingly and you know from inbounds to half court sets to even um which um we're gonna get onto later just i mean been following your channel since then to even to the point where you're looking at how the game has developed not from a player standpoint but from what the coaches how their philosophies and principles are changing but also how much the game in terms of half court sets and defensive concepts are changing from old principles to new principles. But for yourself, I mean, before the channel, I mean, before people even called you coach, what was your first um, introduction into basketball? Well, I've always played basketball uh, since I was a kid. So I would play on, you know, small travel teams and growing up and then I played in high school. Okay. Uh, and for those that don't know, I'm 22 years old. So I actually started my channel about six years ago while I was still playing in high school. Right. Uh, so I, I, I don't know why, but back then I, I just gained a real interest in the X's and O's and strategy aspect. Uh, I started reading a lot of basketball uh, coaching books and watched a lot of b-ball breakdown on YouTube. Yes. So, Shout out uh, to Coach Nick, yep. <laughs> yeah, shout out, shout out to Coach Nick. And so that, that's kind of my background and I've just stuck with it. Now, here's uh, one thing, if I may be truthful. I remember when, um, because you know sometimes when you're so used to hearing the voice, you know, of a um, of um, someone and then I think this was the first time you actually showed your face on your YouTube and I was like, wait a minute. Coach is young, cause like it was it was pretty cool for me, cause me being 28, you're you're kind of looked upon sometimes as like you don't really know the sport. You you need to be in your 40s and 50s to really understand the game. So I think to see that you're so young and this early, you have that level of attention to detail. I mean, where most players and it is changing now, which is something great. Like why? from young like why did you draw to the x's and o's as opposed to you know being young and getting involved in basketball you were more uh focused on the highlight entertainment aspect of the of the sport 
Yeah, you know, I, I really don't know what drew me to the X's and O's. Just the str strategy aspect and kind of the chess match that coaches can have. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I still am. And back then, I, I enjoyed crossover highlight mixes. And right. I dabbled in making, <laughs> in, in making more of the uh, highlight mixes for individual players, not uh, doing X's and O's stuff. Right. But yeah, I guess once I once I started learning more about X's and O's and how detailed it could be, uh, then I got hooked. Wow. So what um inspired that decision to actually dedicate a whole channel on your passion of the X's and O's and the attention to detail? Like, was there a moment, or you was watching a game and thought, no, like I'm seeing this, but I want other people to see what. I see if you could just talk us through that moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny because I, 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 like I said, I used to make sports mixes. And I think when I was around 14, 13, just uh, I, all my friends loved sports. We were just kind of interested in creating stuff. So before I created my channel, I actually created like a sports website uh, called Lockdown Sports, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was just me and my friends okay. uh, occasionally writing articles, not just on basketball, but on baseball and American football. Uh, and that there was nothing unique or special about that website. But then the, the Coach Daniel channel was kind of just off to the next thing, off to the next kind of online content. Right. And that, that's where I, I found something because even with my first video, which was not very good, uh, you know, I posted it on a forum and some people were like, yeah, this is pretty good. And my friends were like, yeah, you should keep on doing this. So right. uh, definitely that early encouragement to just keep on going with it is the only reason that I, I did stick with it. Not, see now, if I may, how does one, as your channel continues to grow and you're seeing um, the level of influence that your channel is having how have you combated because I mean if it was in a perfect world then everyone would agree with some of the assessments and the studies that you've done so in in terms of people who kind of disagree with some of your analysis you know initially how was that for you and and how have you developed i don't know whether it's a thick skin or you're just more analytical so they don't have anything negative to say like how do you go through that or go through those stages mm -hmm. yeah that's a good question i mean right now i think most of my content is pretty objective and also it's not take it's not like a hot take kind of channel or right right uh, i mean I would say that like I've made videos before, uh, like the St. Joseph video I made yes. about uh, a year ago on their offense and where right. I was basically saying more teams should be looking into kind of uh, playing with no plays and positionless basketball. Right. And you know, that that that's not my offense, but the reason I like that offense is based on stats and other people I trust. And so people that maybe may come back and say, oh, well, that offense would never work in uh, Division One basketball, for instance. Well, it's kind of, well, who do you trust? And also it every kind of response, it depends on where it's coming from. If, if they just comment, oh, this sucks, uh, I hate this video. Well, that's not real feedback or support. Right. So 
but at the same time I, I still read my comments because every once in a while I'll get a good kind of feedback where they're saying oh the structure wasn't good and they say it in a way where I have to respect it because they're they just want to help right and then right that's where that's where I can take the comments and look to improve but and, and don't get me wrong like negative comments they still sting you, you remember yes, no, those more of course yeah. of course right right uh but you do have to kind of you know kind of filter out which ones you actually listen to right 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 and i'm curious because here in london i would say well from when i started back in 2008 to now basketball definitely has grown and even though it's it's still you kind of have to be in the circle or in the bubble um, to really know what's going on, who's playing who and stuff like that. For yourself, growing up um, over in the States, like what was the basketball culture like? Like was you exposed to it from early or that's kind of something that you had to take a special interest in for you to be exposed to the sport? Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear more about your experience in London with basketball because I'm from LA and okay. we have the Lakers and... Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big sports town and, you know, I'm kind of just exposed to it at an early age. Actually, uh, my dad has still had and still has season tickets to UCLA basketball. Wow. So I, at a very young age, I was going to the games, playing in uh, peewee leagues, that sort of thing. Right. So for me, it was just kind of exposed at a very young age. Wow. See, it, 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 was, it was completely different for me growing up. I mean, well, I'm saying like I'm super old now but um i think at the time obviously i was i mean i pretty much started watching basketball um about two, 2007 2008 so watching the olympics and stuff like that and at the time you know you you really had to search for channels that would show the game i think the only game at the time that we could see was the all-star game and i would literally wake up at maybe 12 or no probably later maybe two three in the morning just to see highlights coach not even the full game just <laughs> highlights of the game but like at that age that's when you do it the fact that i'm staying up this early to see players who i don't know every single name yet you know i'm i may know joe johnson that's kobe that's so and so but like from then on you know it was the exposure here is in terms of if you're outside the bubble, then you might hear, you know, um, the NBA is coming to London and you might know LeBron James, Steph Curry, when they do big things, like if they score 60 points, it will make the local news. But once you're in that bubble where you're playing against teams, whether that's local league, national, university, or just scrimmages, then you, you kind of meet people who, sh who share similar interest but i think the beauty about the states is that one you know people could watch nba wnba euro league i think we're more exposed to european basketball as opposed to the nba and one thing i love about the states also is you've got um the ncaa which is i mean arguably just as big of a platform as the nba so it's and that's something mm -hmm. i've kind of started to take a little bit more interesting just in terms of i find it interesting how you know there's certain plays like i'm thinking of um anthony bennett who was absolutely tearing up college but when he made that transition into the nba he wasn't 
quite able to adjust accordingly versus bringing it up to speed. Now you're looking at players like Jar, you know, Zion, RJ, who's still kind of finding his groove, but someone like Jar, mm -hmm. I could see from college, you know, I, I, I can't really pinpoint what it was. I'm, I'm not sure if it was the poise, playing style, maturity, you know, being patient, reading the game. I just thought that he was a little bit more ready than the likes of RJ, in my personal opinion. I know the comment section is going to tear me up, but I'm just saying my own personal opinion. I think um, Jal was a little bit more NBA ready. So for yourself, just in terms of one thing I like about your channel is the interactive aspect because it, 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 it kind of takes your average consumer from okay i'm just gonna watch and take in now i'm actually interacting and okay is he gonna pass this way or that way mm -hmm. one player that um i'm curious to get your personal take on is you know what were your thoughts on lamello when he first started and how did those studies of him change over the years up until the player that he is now yeah, I mean, so I first saw Melo when he was a freshman in high school. I was at, That was when I was a senior in high school, and my team was at the same tournament uh, that they were at. We, of course, didn't play them. But I remember watching Chino Hills in the stands, and Lonzo was there, and oh, wow. D'Angelo as well. And it, they just played a style that I had never seen before, and it was working, where it was they were throwing Hail Mary passes, and I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with this. And... Uh, so that's how I first got exposed to LaMelo and he seemed like a good young player but he right. was so small and frail then right, I mean he was right. a freshman in high school so uh, but kind of fast forward it to 2020 I hadn't seen much of him uh, in prep school or in Australia but I made that video so I watched film on him, film on him of course and I was really impressed I, I think he is a special passer who can throw passes with his right hand and works well in the pick and roll and can throw outlet passes on the break. Uh, of course, he's not a perfect player, but right, right. In, in, if you're projecting three or four years down the line, those creators who can pass and handle the ball, uh, who's all, I think he's 6'7 as well, so he has yes, good height. Gross, right, right. Yeah, so I mean, I, I haven't studied the other players, but based on what I've read and what I've seen, I would probably have Lamelo number one on my theoretical big board nice that no same i think one thing that's impressed me the most about lamello especially the 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 hype that he was involved in due to his dad he has matured a lot i mean it helps when your growth spurt is like six seven six eight i wish i had that but hey we're not gonna <laughs> get into that for now but um <laughs> i think his growth spurt and I was fortunate enough to see him. I remember taking my under 16s. This was when he was playing. Him and his um, brother was playing for the Lithuanian team. Oh, and they yeah. made a trip to play against our London Lions. And it was um, a nice take because to be truthful with you coach, I didn't, at that time, I didn't know much about his game, but I knew about his dad. I think the whole world knew <laughs> more about the dad than the actual player. So I kind of came off that assumption you know, he, he isn't going to be that good. I'm not going to expect anything kind of lowballing him. But when I saw him play 
and just, I think that game, he must have finished the game coaching for maybe like 35, 36 points and they were coming with ease. It's not like he was busting the gut to get open. It just came so smooth, effortless, court vision. And from there, I was like, okay, he's actually managed to change my perspective of him and I'm going to see how he goes on and seeing him playing. Was it in New Zealand that he was playing? You know, is it Australia? I, I tend to get the two confused. I'm pretty sure most of the league was in New Zealand. I know Australia, but there was okay. at least one one team that I believe RJ Hampton was on. Okay, that was that's New the Zealand. One. Yes, yes. And seeing him grow, I'm, I'm very curious to see how he transitions into the NBA. But for yourself, how do you see him transitioning, making that jump from international basketball to now going into the NBA with his current skill set? Yeah, I mean, it's an adjustment for all players. Uh, that So the, I, the, I believe the league's called the NDL or some Australian league. Yes. That league really does not play much defense. I mean, there's legitimate players in the league. On his team was Aaron Brooks, who played a decade in the NBA. Yes. But it'll definitely be an adjustment. And then that jump shot is a key. He didn't really shoot it well in Australia. He doesn't really have good balance on the shot. Though he does show good natural touch on floaters and... Uh, while we didn't shoot a high percentage in Australia, he did take some difficult threes. So uh, kind of seeing what role he'll be in next year will depend on the team, but it'll be interesting because in Australia, even though he was a young player, uh, he had the ball almost all of the time. So seeing him play off ball and he has a lot of room to grow in that area will be right. interesting, uh, especially if he's drafted by like the Warriors. Right, right. See, and that's what I've heard, which would be a very um, interesting selection to say this, even though I would prefer him to come to my team, the Chicago Bulls. But again, that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I'm curious for yourself as a coach, and especially when you're breaking down all this footage, is there any details that come to you first and then the de de details that come to you later? Like in terms of if I'm watching a game the first thing that i'll be looking at let's say from a defensive aspect is what is their rotation like in help or how they defend the pick and roll do they hedge do they switch do they ice and then how does the offense counteract that so for yourself when you're looking at the um, footage or you're watching a game or even a player is there any details that come out to you first yeah, I mean, coming out, come out to me first, I would say the pick and roll is actually a pretty big aspect because okay. if you're the defense and you're playing soft, uh, conservative coverage, that's probably going to define your general defensive strategy. And a lot of times you maybe won't force a lot of turnovers or you'll force teams into the mid-range. Uh, the Bucks and the Nets are good examples of this. Whereas if you're a team like the Bulls who wants to be up on the pick and roll, Right. and hedge and show then you're going to force more turnovers but you're likely going to give up more corner threes and shots at the rim mm -hmm. and so i do think the pick and roll defense is a big aspect uh definitely right right and out of when everyone is kind of following the highlights wave like why do you and and i give you a lot of props for this because I've been having um, a few conversations with players and coaches on this podcast in terms of you know um, and I would say the last dance 
brought up in in terms of being that guy versus being the role player and the different responsibilities and expectations that it brings out of a player and a lot of people from a spectator standpoint from a player standpoint they'll focus a lot on being the guy who scores 40 points triple double but they won't necessarily hold in the same regard the role player who's setting good screens who's boxing out communicating being that great locker room person so for yourself who you know you notice the players who are unnoticed if that makes sense just in terms of your Terence Davis your Christian Woods like how do you how did they even come across your radar and why do you make it a special effort to actually give them a shout out even though they're not um and I like the fact that mm-hmm. you're you're truthful and they're not perfect yet they they still have certain um development areas to add to their game but why you know do you put the spotlight on them well the first reason is that with the playoffs cancelled uh i needed some content so you can credit or blame coronavirus for those videos <laughs> right uh but yeah i mean i think like the dante divincenzos the terrence davis those are good players who help their team win and I guess at the core of it would be people have made lots of videos on your up and coming players like Zion or your superstars, and you've seen lots of articles on it. Right. But kind of, get, but you don't see many videos or articles on Davis or uh, especially Cody Martin, for instance. So there's a certain kind of appeal to me to kind of. Uh, shed some light on those guys. And I think my audience appreciates that because uh, they may know a certain amount about Zion and uh, those other guys, but they really don't know a lot about some of these under the radar role players. And to be honest, when I first start watching film on them, I don't necessarily know a lot. I know kind of the basic outline. So in a sense, it's more interesting for me to watch uh, like Cody Martin, who I really didn't know much about and then kind of construct the video. That's almost more fun uh, when there's no games to watch. Right, right. Now, one, I mean, man, there's so many gems, uh, Coach, that I've taken from your channel, but I think one of the biggest um, that when I saw the title and the concept, I was like, wait, what? Like, how, how, like, what do you mean there's no pick and roll in the offense? What do you mean <laughs> it's just like, I was like, because, you know, I think the, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've gone through it, you know, and I've had this conversation with coaches in, in terms of it's a real journey being a coach because you're really learning about, um, you know, what, how you came up in basketball and sometimes changing the principles or philosophies or thought patterns you used to have and actually seeing that the games is actually now changing in terms of positionless basketball you know because there might be the coach that's living today that's that's that still strongly believes that a center should not be taking threes even if they're 35 percent from the field like they should be in the post Mm -hmm. setting screens rolling rebounding doing the dirty work so seeing this modern offense where it's just very basic concepts and one thing i like about it is that you're not relying too much on athleticism but effort in terms of reads 
hard cuts to the basket, seeing the space and just doing nothing flashy. So first off, I just want to ask like, where did you even, not necessarily where did you find that footage, but what made you even have that epiphany of, let me check out some high school games. And did you realize it was a gem when you came across it? Cause seeing that footage now, and I definitely recommend people to check out your channel and that, video as well but for yourself like how did you even come across that gym yeah so the last two summers 2018 and 2019 i've actually uh during uh the summer months of college i spent in back home in la and i was an intern for integrity hoops which okay. uh they train nba players uh in around santa monica area Right. And the trainer there by the name of Noah LaRoche, uh, he's the, the main guy and there's about eight to 10 interns each summer. Uh, and so as one of those interns, you get, you learn about different philosophies and how Noah is training players. But then also Noah is kind of a unique thinker in that he's not just training guys uh, to improve their ball handling or try to work on getting better off of screen but he has his own kind of foundation of what basketball should look like uh, because he basically, he, he ran or maybe still runs a uh, basketball like youth uh, team in nice. the East Coast. Nice. So he has coaching experience himself. And so he, and especially last summer, he talked a lot about the offense and he had consulted with that, that St. Joe's Division Three basketball team and so he brought his ideas to that team. And after that team had success, it just, he became more and more confident in those concepts. And that's how I learned about the concepts. And because otherwise I wouldn't have heard of St. Joe's. Right, right, right. And I mean, if you could just, just, just talk about the offense, because I, I like the fact that, well, one, there's no ball screens, it's just, reads spacing being very key which you highlighted in the video but i mean <laughs> it's it's quite funny because you know when you would see the team score the defense would just be like like what the like how do we guard like it's just every single time fight over react on the strong side someone is cutting on the weak side i mean that that offense when taught correctly is extremely effective yeah, and I think that's a good point at the end, when taught correctly, uh, because a big part of why it works is because in practice, they really rely on implicit learning. So like if they're doing a shooting drill, it's not, okay, let's get five shots from the corner uh, and then from the wing or whatever, but they have players leading different drills where, for example, one drill, the ball handler will have it and he can drive either which way, he can call for a pick, he could uh, dribble into the post and then the, so it's there's two players on a basket and then the other player without the ball will have to react to the drive or react to the post up and basically work on moving off ball so and so it's still a shooting drill and right. but it's it's not choreographed it's not it's players have to think so I, I think that that's a big part of why the offense works is that in practice they're they're playing uh, three on three single side games and just constantly working on making reads and mm -hmm. they're not, you know, spending 10 minutes on, okay, let's run, let's, let's work on two set plays that we can memorize that may never even work in a game. Right, right. And I'm not 
sure if you've kind of made some of these um what's the word i'm looking for some of these reads or seen some of these things because i remember when um when i took the london team up to manchester at the time you know uh the rumor was that you know london basketball was just all about one-on-one athleticism get to the basket and score and we didn't really know how to actually play within a half court set and play as a team and i'm kind of linking that with like have you seen sometimes whether it's the coaches teaching it or you could be watching a game and the team is just relying strictly on their athleticism and when they actually have to you know five fingers making a fist they're not able to actually make that next step yeah i I think that's definitely a thing uh athletes can dominate over a certain level of competition but when the athletes are equal you have to have some kind of some kind of idea of how you want to play on offense and so yeah i mean i'm I'm i can talk about the saint joseph's offense all day but I, i think you've already mentioned like the key components the spacing is is huge uh and then the positionless aspect and that how everyone just is always moving. It can really wear a defense out. Right, right. And in terms of your channel, when did you kind of get that feeling of like, wow, like the the reach is, is really spreading out and you're really starting to see the impact of what your channel is doing? Good question. Uh, you know, probably that St. Joseph's video, that, that video wow. got, it's one of my more viewed videos and got more views and kind of, uh, you know, just attention than I expected. And lots, I mean, tons of people started not only emailing me about the offense, but Noah and uh, the coach at St. Joseph's, who I'm forgetting his name right now. But yeah, so people were really interested in that offense and, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll meet other coaches now and they may not they might not have really seen my channel but they saw that video and they were like oh wow. you made that and so I, I think in the coaching community it's been a pretty popular video uh yeah what's um i don't know is there is there anything that you've been quite surprised about with with i mean you being a coach and this channel has there been moments where you kind of didn't like when you started this channel you kind of didn't expect um something to happen if that makes sense like like oh like i didn't really think this this wasn't happening just because i made this one video or this channel is getting bigger and bigger i didn't really expect that was there any of those moments i mean just in general getting to 100,000 subscribers was definitely something i never expected uh in terms of moments you know, one time someone recognized me at a bar, believe it or not, and oh, even though wow. I don't really show my face, so that was kind of different, so that rarely happens. Uh, but just being able to have a, a platform and talk basketball, it's, uh, I, I definitely wasn't really expecting that when I first started it. I was just doing it for fun. Right. Uh, and now it has become more of kind of, a, a little more like work, uh, but I still enjoy making videos. Mm-hmm indeed and one thing you've actually um changed my mind just in in terms of because i wasn't too big on um stats in terms of 
you know, a player being, I don't know, 29% from the field, like they could still make mm -hmm. that one big shot. But one thing, and I, I didn't think I even, it registered in my head um, until I heard you say that the Toronto Raptors are actually doing better minus Kawhi and it's you know big players that are stepping up but also their defensive strategy and shout out to Nick Nurse if he's listening because that was uh, a coach that was um coaching over here in London yeah. so it's, it's, it's quite cool to see him making a lot of noise over there in the NBA but in in terms of like for those who don't know with I think two teams specifically I would like to focus on just in terms of what do they do defensively that the average person watching wouldn't really know just just in terms of how they guard the paint and they kind of allow the three to fly and st stuff like that yeah well first off you're hitting all of my favorite topics St. Joseph's offense the Raptors defense <laughs> this, this is great uh you I'm really interested what, with what Nurse has done. And I, I mean, he said it himself. The main thing is just that his guys play hard, right. where a lot of teams with top-end talent, they maybe coast during the regular season or take games off on defense. But his team plays extremely hard. And in terms of that scheme, they they allow the most corner threes in, in the entire NBA, I believe. Yeah. Which is definitely different. And... I've, I've seen some behind the scenes numbers that indicate kind of that support what the eye test says, which is that they can test threes at an incredible rate and they fly at uh, shooters. And I really think that so kind of bringing it all back. So they allow a lot of threes, but they allow a very low percentage on them. And I do believe their length, but then also the effort and their style of closeouts is a big reason for that because i mean they basically the kind of the old traditional way of closing out is stay down don't fall for pump fake right, uh, right. and they're just jumping out and flying out and uh they don't really foul that much but they block the most threes uh in the nba and they they'll, they'll fly out on not just your best shooters but they want to contest every single three and make it difficult for even the poor shooters right 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 and that that was something that i guess when you break it down and you see just how much they will almost dare that person to shoot but they really suck up the pain and don't allow anything down the middle and even toronto raptors who to be truthful coach once Kawhi left i was like okay i don't need to focus too much on the raptors but once i heard them making noise but matching what i'm hearing to what I'm actually seeing just in, in terms of how they play and it's not like Pascal Siakam isn't a slouch he's not a fluke he's actually a bona fide player um, Fred Van Fleet is another person who isn't a fluke he's actually a bona fide player and what they're doing is something special and I, I like the fact that Nick Nurse is very experimental you know yeah. and, and obviously there's that risk of being experimental you might get punished for it but the fact that he's even opening up that envelope and is really trying things on the fly you know like that box and one i think every coach took that out of his book in terms of the box and one and things like that so for, for yourself i mean how how have you seen and what would you like to see postseason just in in terms of nick nurse being very 
experimental and what do you think the Raptors can achieve potentially? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the experimental thing because, you know, a lot of coaches say, you know, don't have too many schemes, don't have too many plays, don't have too many types of defenses. Stick with your core and get good at that. And I mean, the Bucks are a good example of how they pretty much stick with their base defense and they've had a ton of success. So it's really interesting that the Raptors, they'll mix in zones and triangle and twos. And right. they'll mix it, not only that, but sometimes they'll drop in the pick and roll. Sometimes they'll be up to the level of the ball. And they've obviously also had a lot of success. And kind of the idea there is now playing different styles in a playoff series where you may have to adjust uh, on the fly. Now right. they have different defenses that they can go to. And even if it's something that they haven't tried before, they've kind of built up that level of, okay, well, we've tried different things and we can be ready for anything. So yeah, that's really interesting about the, the Raptors. In terms of their playoffs, I mean, I don't have a particularly hot take on them. I think a series with them in Boston would be excellent. I don't know mm -hmm. if they can make the finals, but right. they're a deep team. And like Terrence Davis, is, he's, good. he's a good player. Right. Uh, you, you mentioned Pascal Siakam, so and Marcus Gasol, who still seems to be underrated. But yeah, uh, they're a good team. Right, right, and just I think because it's very interesting because I'm just trying to remember the thought that's escaping me. Ah, it will come back to me at some point. But I think I'm I'm very curious to see how the playoffs happen and and which teams can battle it out but i think there's one team in particular and i'm curious to get your thoughts on it is the houston rockets just in terms of yeah. the small ball when i first heard it i was like okay i mean in terms of from an offensive standpoint you know where i think they they you know I, I like the fact that it, it, it's a perfect fit for Mike Dan Tony because he's a very much of a fast-paced, seven seconds or less coach, pick and roll, threes or dunks. And in terms of offense, you know, when I think the only center I feel that is quite agile, um, in my personal opinion, I would say Yanis, even though he, he doesn't really play center, but he's a bit of a flexible player um anthony davis i might be missing some others where if you it's not really that much of a mismatch if you're playing up against houston but if it's any other player and you get a guard on a center who isn't that agile in lateral movement i think that's where houston can make a problem as well as you're starting to see now russell westbrook going downhill is just absolutely being a monster but defensively I'm very curious to see what some of their concepts are going to be like that will kind of hide the fact that they're not because I think they're 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 classed as they're not that strong in terms of rebounding if I'm correct because of their lack of height but what were your thoughts on the initial trade of Clint Capella and and do you think the small ball can potentially work? Yeah, so I do think the small ball can potentially work. Uh, so basically the numbers were with Harden, Westbrook, and Capella on the floor with those two non-shooters and Westbrook and Capella, there just wasn't enough spacing to go right. around. Right. And so by bringing in Covington, who 
he's not a great three-point shooter, but he's pretty high volume. Right. And he's also quite a good defender. You're bringing more spacing, and so that kind that that fits their offense. And I, I definitely expect their offense to be good in the playoffs. In terms of defense, uh, you mentioned rebounding. I think kind of an under-discussed topic that I did mention in my video on their defense is that when they play good teams so far, their defense, their rebounding has been average, which is good considering how small they play. But right. it's been, it's when they play uh, the, the lesser teams, uh, their rebounding suffers mainly because of their effort and they just don't put in, uh, especially in the dog days of February and March, they weren't boxing out. And when your effort drops, as you of course know, the rebounding is gonna fall off a cliff. Right, so, right, right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the rebounding will be an issue in the playoffs to a certain extent. They're definitely not a plus rebounding team. Mm -hmm. But P.J. Tucker, Harden, uh, Eric Gordon, those are all very strong players, which helps them in post-defense as well. Right. So while I don't think they're better than the Lakers or the Clippers, I, I still think, especially against Utah or Denver, they're probably favorites. Right, definitely. And... Another thing, you know, that I find, well, your channel being very important, but it also shows me just the high level of detail and just how much you look at the whole picture, but really look at the small details that make the picture is, um, and I was very surprised, but grateful is um, I'm forgetting the player that you, um, use as an example but in in terms of being a great cutter and getting open like an average player will look at you and be like what do you mean being a great cutter then you just go to the basket but there's small little details in terms of footwork and fading and no look and knowing when to cut and stuff like that so if you could just break down well one again what what drew your attention to that and Two, like, what are some of the things that you took in 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 terms of what players need to know and even coaches need to know about what makes a good cutter? Yeah, I, I mean, I think off ball movement in general, which includes cutting, is is very underrated. Uh, not a lot of people will talk about it, but right. that's what draws me to someone like Marco Bellinelli, who I haven't studied him enough to say he's a great cutter, but he is tremendous at really moving off the ball and finding those open gaps. Right. And I, I do think that's underrated because when you're moving off ball and keeping your defender engaged, that could free up your teammates even if you don't get a shot. Right. So I, I do think cutting is important. I, I've talked a bit about it recently with Cody Martin and a bit with uh, Terrence Davis. Uh, I, I made a video, I think, two years ago on Devin Harris, kind of just all about his That's cutting. the player, yes, yes, thank you, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I really didn't talk enough about it then, but really his chemistry with J.J. Barea was just insane. Right. Uh, all, pretty much all of his cuts and scores were with J.J. passing. They had a, a real wink-wink chemistry. Right. But just, yeah, so just in general with cutting, it's important to stay active and when you're off ball kind of thinking as it as a scoring opportunity and not an opportunity to rest uh and then there's also certain cuts that uh if you have it automatic and down that can generate some easy buckets like the slot cut on a baseline drive or right. i think the slot cut uh during a pick and pop is also important and you know coaches will 
kind of put in what cuts they want their teams to run so everyone is on the same page but right right yeah the combination of staying active and then maybe having a couple uh automatic cuts that counters what the defense is trying to do is a good start right right and in terms of plays i'm i'm curious to get your take on because i like the fact that you really highlighted um and i believe coach nick um also highlighted you know some of the most used plays in the nba but i'm kind of curious in in terms of why is it that they are the most used is it is it just a case of players are super familiar with it or it just brings about a lot of different options or just what's your take on on some of the plays that are used a hell of a lot in the nba yeah i mean i think in general the nba is a copycat league so if one team's running a play that uh maybe has some success or simple and and works and makes sense then it it might it might become uh ubiquitous around the entire nba so the the one video you may be referring to of mine was on uh how nba teams run away which is basically just a point guard dribbles it up on the wing on one side of the court and then you have a double screen and it's just very simple and it's just a basic way to get into the offense and it's something that coaches install so that you know players just aren't dribbling up and getting into a pick and roll or an iso you you kind of have kind of structure and then What's interesting is that you can build options and counters off of the simple double stagger. Exactly, right, right, yeah. right. And uh, I think there was one clip that my mentor showed me, and this was, I believe, way back, I think 2015, 2016. Um, he showed me this one play, Coach, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. When I tell you, Coach, it was poetry in motion, and <laughs> it made me want to run to my team and draw it up for them because I had a shooter at that present moment in time and I knew my shooter was going to love this play. I, I think I know what you're getting get him, at. It would get him so open, coach, that he could literally go, <sighs> and then take the shot. Like this elevator door that oh. I saw Golden State run. <laughs> coach, when I told you, I was like, wait, show me that again? One more time. I lied. Make it two more times. Like the play and... What I noticed, and I'm sure you noticed it as well, one, the fact that there was a few different variations, but then I saw the Spurs starting to use it. And then I think I saw once the Indiana Pacers with Paul George. Then I saw Miami use it with Ray Allen. I was like, okay, I'm starting to see the trend, but the different variations. But I mean, what was your thoughts on seeing that? elevate a door and and just that whole thought yeah well first off i thought you were going to say the hammer play so okay uh, which which is another good one to get a shooter open right but yeah you know i I can't say i'm actually a huge fan of the elevator play at the nba level because just because teams have gotten so used to seeing it i I do think to a certain extent it is scoutable to sort uh and uh, it, it really doesn't work too often for NBA teams now. Now, back in the day, right. with Curry and Klay Thompson on, on those Warriors teams, it, it was pretty effective. And I'm, I'm sure you've gotten shooters open with it on, on your team. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, it's a very unique play. That I mean, that's the that's the one thing that I will say. It's, 
you know, running through the doors and getting an open look. That that's fun. So right, right, right. And for those who don't know of the hammer play, if you could just break that down and also just talk about when you first discovered that one as well. Yeah. So the hammer play is basically you have a, your shooter on the opposite wing, and then he'll get a screen to the corner with the ball along the baseline yes. and who the, the player on the baseline will look to kind of throw it almost out of bounds to the shooter in the corner for an open th- corner three. Right. And I first saw that when I was first starting to make videos, uh, the Spurs ran it around 2014-ish. So it's, it's a very, it's still a pretty popular play. And so, yeah, so, and what's cool about it is you can get into the hammer play in different ways. So like the Spurs with Borussia, they throw it to him in the post and he'd make that hook pass to the corner. Right. And other other teams will maybe re- look have a design reject screen to go baseline or you know just different ways uh, to get into it. And but and I do want to emphasize the way you get into it is pretty important because if right. you can't get the ball along the baseline, then you won't be able to make that pass. Right right so true it's so true and in in terms of i'm curious what's your thoughts on kind of shifting a little bit from the nba to kind of the um international whether it's the EuroLeague or olympics is there any countries that kind of stand out to you just in terms of some of the x's and o's that they run I'm not sure about X's and O's, but I will say I watched a lot of FIBA last summer uh, and I was enthralled and in love with Argentina, their Mm -hmm. team. Right. They went, I'm I'm not, I'm not sure if they won the, no, they, I believe they came in second. Yes, correct. Correct. And they had Scola and uh, I believe Composito at point guard. Yes. And that was, I just really enjoyed watching Composito and that whole team, just their chemistry and uh so that that's i mean that might that might have been the most fun i've had watching basketball in the last nice. 365 days <laughs> not even the nba yeah uh, just oh, a really right. fun team right right and there was one uh i believe it's spain who run the well of course it's spain sorry um that run and again just seeing it really opened up a lot of options because it's very simple but smart in terms of the, the Spain pick and roll because it's almost like the screener is screening the defender but as they're diving you've got the person in the help actually getting screened as well so it just opens up the guard to go all the way to the basket so it's just been a lot of I, I, I just like her and that's why Nick Nurse really stands out to me because He's very experimental and will just try different things. Unfortunately, the players are open-minded to try it out also. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up uh, the Spain pick and roll because, you know, when it first became popular in the NBA, I I wasn't exactly sure how long that would last, but like the Mavericks run a lot of it in uh, this past season and they might run it, you know, five times a game. And it's still a very successful play. So it's a bit different from the elevator play uh, where it's kind of, you know, not as successful. But you can run Spain several times a game 
Right. And, you know, defenses are better at kind of recognizing it and having a plan, but mm. it, it still gives defenses a ton of problems. It does. It, it, it really does. And I think there's one team, I think in terms of an international level that I've always rooted for, I mean, Spain being one, but um, Australia being number two, because I think I had a similar yeah. Yeah. moment to yourself, coach, um, watching, well, two games um, technically where I was literally screaming like a maniac. I'm going to bring it back to the 2016 Olympics. Coach, there was one play where out of all the dunks and 360s, like there was one play that I saw, coach, where USA scored. When I tell you, coach, the ball didn't touch the floor. It went from inbounder to wing to guard to another guard running on the weak side for a layup as if it was like a three-man weave just set in motion. Like to see that there at the highest level was absolutely amazing. And two, the World Cup, like at first when I saw, and credit to Greg Popovich because he didn't really have much to work with, but I mean, Australia is just another team where like they are seriously, close and again i might cause some problems in the comment section but to me personally they are knocking at the door of the usa kind of asking to be let into this conversation yeah uh i, I forgot about australia but they're a really fun team uh, uh kind of all the way around right. with patty mills at point guard and delvadova kind of you know, your hard-working players and then baines uh in the middle Andrew Bogut, Ingles, Joe Ingles. And right. also, uh, I, like you mentioned, kind of with the X's and O's, they run some good stuff on offense in mm -hmm. terms of just keeping it fluid, uh, not a lot of stagnant offense. And so from a coaching perspective, I've also read some good things. I, I don't know his name, but let me actually look it up right now. But that coach, uh, he, I, I believe he's doing a, a really good job with that team. Definitely. Uh, he's been their coach for some time. Yeah, I, I've just seen some stuff with kind of the way he thinks about practicing uh, with the single side games. It's kind of very similar to what St. Joseph's did. So that's okay. kind of why I have, a, I have a bit of a soft spot for that coach. <laughs> uh, if I find his name, I'll, I'll let you know. Okay, no problem. So I'm curious now, coach, is there any, because um, I think personally, uh, I, okay, this is okay. I'm just, I'm just gonna cause some problems now. But uh, I'm not a huge fan of how the Houston Rockets play in terms of offensively, kind of give the ball to Harden one on one, and it just kind of leaves the shooters. You just literally have to be ready to shoot before the ball is in your hands because if Harden doesn't have a shot he's literally gonna kick it out to you for you to catch and shoot I think I'm I'm more in love with how the Spurs play and how kind of Golden State minus KD and with KD they had a lot of great passes and again uh, what you were speaking about a lot of players making great cuts to the basket so for yourself um, when you go through the footage or when you're watching the game, is it stuff that, that makes you go like, why are they running that play? Or is there any other plays where you think, oh, that's a great play. And that's some of the stuff that I like to see as a coach. Are you kind of talking about just with Houston or? 
Oh no, or um, just in general? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Spurs offense back in the day. And even now, it's fun to watch because they still have Patty Mills and uh, Marco Bellinelli who move well off the ball. Right. Uh, especially last year with Breton. But yeah, I mean, the, the Warriors offense is tremendous. Kind of, they it's, I don't know what's the best way, like a good analogy for it, but just having those two shooters and then no one on, no one else can really shoot. So right. it, it, it makes them have to use cuts. And Draymond's kind of the quarterback of it. So right. that's really interesting. In terms of Houston, yeah, I'm, I I don't enjoy watching them as much as the Spurs, but uh, efficiency is efficiency. And they just... It's true. It's, it's one of those things. It's, uh, and I, I will say I'm a, I am a big fan of Harden because uh, I just kind of like his demeanor out there. He doesn't get too... Uh, he's just very consistent uh, demeanor-wise. So right. uh, I do enjoy watching him. Right. Right. And in terms of, you know, for the player that's coming up, because I think for me personally, I, I always tell the players that I coach, you know, to watch the game from three angles, watch the game from a player's perspective, whether that's you focus on a player who plays the same position as yourself and kind of take what you can and apply to your game, watch it as a coach which is important because you really want to understand why the offense works and if the defense shuts down one option how does the offense smoothly counteract into the second and third options and thirdly you want to watch it from a referee standpoint because I mean I'm sure you've been there you've blown the whistle or seen it in the NBA where it's a clear foul but the player will like swear to you that he didn't reach in or he was there at the right time so definitely watch it from a player's perspective a coach and a referee but for yourself you know if you had a player or a team what are some of the very first things you would teach them or get them to take note of Probably the St. Joseph's offense and that, that style of positionless basketball, uh, especially if it's more at a younger age, then kind of getting players to learn how to play the right way and learning how to move off ball, which really a lot of players don't really learn until maybe they have a good coach. Mm -hmm. So that would be probably one of, I, I would definitely run that offense. And then defensively, it w I guess it would depend a bit on the personnel. But especially at AAU or high school level, I would probably not go with the Nick Nurse philosophy of changing it up. I would keep it pretty simple. Right, right. Okay, and just before we wrap up, I mean, out of all the sports out there, why is basketball so important to you? I would say it's important to me just because it's, always been a part of my life and there's there's just something about the game and the way the ball swishes through the net uh, and yep. how invested I've been in it but uh, probably my second favorite sport is baseball I don't really follow the MLB or anything but uh, I do I, I do like baseball as well I'm, I'm not sure how big that is in London you know what's funny it's I think over here I think the sport that's growing extremely fast uh, surprisingly is uh, NFL that is that okay. is growing super super 
huge over here. It, it's almost rivaling basketball at the moment. So I need to keep an eye on that for sure. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, I, I assume uh, soccer or as, as you guys call it, football, yes. uh, is still the, the biggest sport over there. Definitely, definitely, by far, by far. It's quite funny because uh, sometimes when you're uh, speaking with someone who has absolutely no clue about basketball, I'll be having a conversation with them and you you know the feeling where you kind of know where this conversation is going to go. So it was kind of like, you know, like, do you watch basketball? Yeah, I'm into basketball. And, you know, I think he would have said something like, oh, yeah, is uh, Michael Jordan still playing? I was like, come on, man. You should... <laughs> I mean, okay, I understand you don't watch basketball, but you should know the bare minimum. The Michael Jordan's chilling in his mansion. He ain't playing no basketball right now. You, if you said if, I don't know, if Kobe's still playing or LeBron's still playing, then I could say, okay, cool. But Michael, like, like come on, man, you know? But <laughs> So would you, crazy. Say, would you say basketball is the fourth biggest sport in uh, London or maybe the fifth biggest? Where would you kind Ooh, of place it on? Good question. I think right now... The top four sports in London, football is definitely one. Um, oof, what would be number two? I want to say athletics actually is peaking up there really quick as number two. What, what is athletics? So athletics will be more so we focus a lot on the 100 and 200 meter sprints. Because oh, we have yeah. quite, uh, quite a few promising athletes. Um, tennis will be number three because we have a lot of um, up-and-coming players. Um, number four. What would be number four? I want to say basketball, but like to be truthful, I wouldn't even say that. I think basketball will probably fall in your top eight at the moment. But um, yeah, that I think that would be probably the top for sports but it's, it's quite interesting because even then you would think that for example football being number one it would be not popular but it would be um what's the word we would do well in international sports but even then we don't always uh put the best players forward so it's 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 quite interesting i think fortunately for the USA, they don't really have that problem. Wait, so what's the top four sports in the States, if you had to say? I would definitely American football, number one. Uh, I would, probably basketball, number two. Baseball, number three. And then probably NHL hockey, number okay. four. Okay. Huh. And then, you know, that basketball over there might be what tennis is over here. Because tennis, I mean, it's definitely still popular, but uh, I don't know who the biggest tennis player was in the 90s, but right. I, could, I could see myself asking someone in five years, is Roger Federer still playing? Or uh, kind of, <laughs> right, kind of no, seeing, like, I, I might know who the biggest name is, but not after that. Right, right, right. Oh my goodness. Now for the people who don't know you, like, how can they find you and and what are some of the plans that you have for your channel also yeah so in terms of finding me my, my channel is called coach daniel on youtube that's probably the best uh if you subscribe you'll you know see my videos and then going forward i'm just 
if the playoffs end up happening, which is, which would be in two weeks, then for the next few months, I'll be pretty invested in making videos and kind of analyzing the adjustments. And I, I am looking forward to that. I've enjoyed making the individual player breakdowns of kind of more unheralded players. But at my core, I would say I do enjoy kind of the team coaching breakdowns more. And so I'll just be trying to grind those out. Okay. And I'm curious, as a coach, do you follow a team or a player at the moment? Not at the moment. Uh, I don't really have a favorite team. I will say growing up, my favorite player was Steve Nash. So ah, I was a bit of a Suns. I was a bit of a Suns fan, despite living in LA. Okay, interesting. So in LA, is it a given? It's either Clippers or Lakers, or is it actually a surprise that it's not that black and white? There's a few people who support Denver or Trailblazers. Yeah, I mean, most people are probably Laker fans, but at least in my friends group growing up maybe because their parents were from a different state or whatnot, that you would definitely run into a lot of people uh, who were fans of the Celtics or the Warriors. Uh, and in, in general now, I think a lot of people just follow their favorite players. So, but I mean, LA is a Lakers city, that's, that's for sure. Right, right. I mean, we shall see. I mean, I, I think it would be a very... Um fairy tale ending if the Lakers won it because that would be tribute to Kobe and you know that's just one uh one what's the word one mountain that LeBron has climbed you know to to bring another championship to Laker Nation would be absolutely amazing and in my opinion I would love to see the Lakers and the Bucks in the finals I mean how about yourself is there any two teams that you would like to see I'm probably not pulling for any which team. Uh, yeah, I wrote. I don't really have a preference, but okay. no, I, I I would be really interested to see Kawhi back in the finals if he can repeat with a different team. Nice. That would be pretty exciting. Nice indeed, indeed. Well, guys, you've heard it from Coach Daniel. All of his information will be in the description, so please make sure you check it out. And Coach Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Coach, thanks for having me on. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation. Awesome. This is myself and Coach Daniel signing out.